Amen. You can be seated, church. And uh, if you're a guest here this morning, we extend a warm welcome to you. We want to say hello to all of you at home, too. And if you're recovering from surgery, we welcome you being at home, too. I know there's somebody special that's going through that. So thanks for being here. We just uh, want to say uh, we're honored to become the next community church. And um, if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you and to to welcome you. We have a free gift we want to give you up front, and if there's a way that we can help you, serve you, bless you, let us know. We'd love to do that. My name's Joe. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in week three of our series called Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World, where we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is really, that's, that's the theme of the book. These three words, this, this new church 2,000 years ago was birthed in the middle of, of, of persecution and hostility and and uh, the Apostle Paul is writing them a letter and, and telling them how to live a life of hope. That we don't, we don't walk around hopeless as believers and followers of Jesus. And, and then we're called to holiness. And these, these two things are the answers of how to live in a hostile world. And, and so certainly it applies to us today. Uh, we, we're finding that the world has not gotten better. In fact, it's getting worse. And it's going to continue to get worse. And so the answer is for the church to live with a hope and a holiness about her. And so um, Landon filled in for us last week, did a great job. I understand he explained all of the mystery that there is to know about the sovereignty of God and man's free will and how those two things play together and explained the doctrine of election to you perfectly. So um, I'm sure there's no questions from that. So we can just move right on to verse 7, which is where he left off last week. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Um, in all seriousness, you know, what, what we talked about last week was how, how God has chosen... Um, uh, the, the Thessalonian church, right? He, he has chosen them and they responded to the gospel. And, and so now he's going to go on and talk about how that happened. And um, we're just going to look at, at, at four verses this morning, but there's so much to unpack in these four verses. And so let's pick it up in verse 7. you got your Bibles open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, right? So you, little church, little Thessalonian church, the, the, the first and only church in this town of 200,000 people, Paul says that you became an example. Just, well, let me, let me help you see what this area is, okay? Let's see. Daggone it. <laughs> this happened last night, too. Something funky going on here. I'm doing the old unplug, replug, right? That's how you fix the computer. Let me plug that in. See if it's... Joe? <laughs> Santiso, help, please. I'm hoping he's going to magically appear and fix this thing. Um, you get the idea. You can picture a map. It's all of Greece. Uh, Macedonia is the northern part of Greece. Is it up? Oh, it's on the screens. How's that happening? I don't, I don't know. But you can see the area um, where Thessalonica is. It's up in the northern part of Greece, right on that waterfront there. And so there coming to know Christ um, expanded 
uh, all across basically the region of Greece. Um, Todd, go get Joe because I need this for other stuff. Okay. Would you? Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> what he was doing back here. Um, and so, um, and so this, this word, for example, it's interesting. He says um, that you became an example for this whole region. And that's, there you are. Joe, help us. <laughs> Anytime anything technical goes wrong in the whole building, it's a Joe, come, come help and come fix it. So um, man of many talents. Um, you can throw up verse 7 for me again. If you can do that, Andy, go back to that. This word, for example, it's an interesting Greek word. It was used to describe a seal that was made in wax. A seal that was made in wax or an imprint that was made to mint a coin. Right? So something that was made, to, you're like, what is a seal in wax or an imprint minting a coin? What does that have to do with being an example? Well, it's the idea of making your mark on something. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He uses the word for making your mark on something, and he uses that word to the Thessalonian church and says, here's what you did, Thessalonian church. You've made your mark in this whole region. You're you're making an imprint. You're you're leaving an example for people to see. And, And listen to me, followers of Jesus. Jesus in you should make you different than those around you that you leave your mark on people in a good way. The church should be leaving her mark on the world in a way that, that is, well, like Jesus said, that's kind of salt and light-like. It's, it's preserving. It's life-giving, right? Not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Think of it maybe like this. Um, and, and anytime, right, some, some, some fancy designer is going to design a new line of clothes, and there'll be a fashion show, and they, they, they hire beautiful models to come in and to wear their clothes and to, to walk down the catwalk and to display their clothes, right? What, what, what are they doing? They are showing off the, the, the clothes. They're being an example of here's what is available to you. And in a sense, that's what the Thessalonian church has done. They've put on, and this is actually the language of the Bible, they've put on new clothes. They've put on kingdom clothes. They've put on Jesus clothes in such a way that they are now an example to those around them. They are displaying Jesus to those around you. And so it's a question that I would ask you. That when people come in contact with you, are they seeing and experience Jesus in you? What, what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, aroma or flavor do you have and leave when you're with people? Uh, and, and do they see Jesus in you? The Thessalonian church, right from the beginning, put on display Jesus in, in, a, in an amazing way that they became an example. I think it's really important to to look at this verse with verse 6 as well. Verse 6 says, um, which Landon covered last week, it's the verse right before the one we're looking at. It says, you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us. So I want you to catch the chain reaction. Did you catch the chain reaction? Is that the Apostle Paul is following the Lord He comes into town. He lives as an example to the church. 
And then the church becomes an example to others. It's this kind of mentality of, of passing the torch along. As a matter of fact, Paul ta- in 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul says this in, in chapter 1. Go ahead and throw that slide up if you would. He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. I mean, that's exactly what Paul says to do. I'm going to go follow Jesus. You follow me as, as I go, and we'll all follow Jesus together. This word for imitate, can you go back to, uh, to verse 7 there? Or verse 6, rather. Um, sorry, the verse 6. He says, you yourselves became imitators of us. This word imitate is the Greek word mimites. Mimites, where we get our word mimic. He's like, mimic me. Become a copy, carbon copy. Follow me, I'm going to become a, a mimic of, of the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. Right? And, and so... Um, that's what Christianity becomes. This, you get the idea that it's, it's this, well, I'll, I'll just put it like this in my notes. Here's point number one if you're writing things down. Christianity is a pass-the-torch kind of faith. Christianity is, is, a, is a kind of faith where you're living close enough to people that you're, you're passing the torch on to others. This past Wednesday night, <coughs> um, our son... Cole, he, he plays on the uh, Perkiomen Valley varsity lacrosse team. It was senior night. Some of you, you've, you've gone through this, right, where you, you go down onto the field with your, your, uh, your son or your daughter before the game, and they honor the seniors, and they call them over to the loudspeaker, and they stop and take pictures. And it was a nice, it was a nice night. And, and they tell you to get there early. Yeah, get there way early. It's going to be crowded, yada, yada. So we got there way early, and there was a track meet going on in the stadium before the, the lacrosse game, which was underneath the lights. And so we got there early, and, and I, I realized that I've never really watched a lot of uh, track meets, because I don't know if you can tell or not, I'm just not a big fan of running. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it unless someone's chasing you. Why are you running around, right? And so, um, and so one of the events was the, I don't even know what it's called, the four by, four by something. Four by four is where you pass off the, to- the not the torch, what is it? the baton, right? And so <clears throat> you can see how into running I really am. And, and, and so, but watching, it was Methacton versus PV and watching these kids running around. And some of them were real smooth handing off the baton and others not so much. But, but church, we, we, we can't mess up this, this baton pass. We've, we've got to understand that part of having Jesus in you is that Jesus lives through you, that we're leaving our mark, we're making our imprint in others in such a good way, that we're, be, we're letting other people mimic us, and, and that we're being very intentional about passing the torch. So here's my question I want to ask you. Right now, today, who, who are you passing the torch to? Who's close enough to you that you're being intentional? And, and, and the obvious answer is if you have kids, you say, well, my kids, I want to pass the torch, and, and that's job number one. But even beyond that, who are, who are you living as a, an example to, putting on Jesus' clothes so that they, they see Jesus on display in you, right? Christianity is a pass-the-torch kind of faith. Paul goes on in verse 8 and says this, um, For the word of the Lord, it, it just rang out from you, he says. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. 
And so here's, here's what he's saying, is that, did you, did you notice the two, the two going outs that are in this verse? Did you notice? He says, the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. He's expanding the area. He's saying, what's happening here? It's spreading around the area, even beyond this Greece area. He says, in every place that your faith in God has gone out. So here, there's two going outs. There's the word of the Lord is ringing out, and then their faith in God is going out. And, and so you kind of get the idea that, that this Christian faith is a going out kind of faith. Let's talk about these two outs that are going out. First, the, 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 the word of the Lord rang out, all right? Um, in verse 8, it says, The word of the Lord rang out from you. The, the, this word for rang out is, is, is from the Greek word echos. That's where we get our word echo from you. It's the idea that it's just reverberating. It's just continuing to kind of think of, of like ripples in a pond, right? It was actually used in, in terms of music, it, it specifically of a trumpet. When the sound of a trumpet was, was blown, that it would just echos. It would just ring out. And so here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Man, you guys are living in such a way that your faith in God, the word of the Lord, is echoing out. It's, it's just ringing out into the region. It's transforming the area, right? Christianity is a going out kind of faith, which we've got to just stop and, and, and evaluate and say this. I, I don't know where it came from, but the idea, well, my faith is a very private faith is not found in the Bible anywhere. This, this idea that it's, it's, it's something I don't talk about, um, it's not something I share, it's just between me and God, C can I just say this in love? That's your made-up version of what it should be because of our fear, our personality, our ashamedness of following Jesus, ashamedness of the gospel, whatever it is, that's not the Bible. My faith is a private faith. Is not, you're not going to find that in here. And so I, I'm, we, and I'll, put, I'll put me in here together. We've got to get to the point where we understand that part of following Jesus is that we, we belong to a going out kind of faith. And it's not a quiet faith and a private faith. It's not an obnoxious faith and a beating people over the head with a Bible faith either. That's not attractive. That doesn't bring salt and light to people. That turns people off. And so in such, a, in such a way that when we put on Jesus' clothes and we're making our mark and we're leaving our imprint on people as we're going out, that it's, it's a positive thing. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever, um, you ever driven past, you can pick one, uh, a synagogue, uh, a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall, um, a, a Hindu temple, uh, a Buddhist temple, a mosque. Like, and there, there's different ones around that you see <clears throat> even in this area. You ever driven past them and be like, I, I wonder what goes on inside there. I, I wonder what, what a, a service is like, right? Um, and, and it's made me th think this week particularly um, praise God, huge answer to prayer. Thank you, church. This past Monday, we had our official closing at 10 a.m. Next Community Church is now the owners of this building that we're meeting in, so we praise God for that. Um, 
and, and, you know, I, I don't know if it, if it feels different to you. It, to me, it's kind of like, well, this is, this is ours. God, you, you through our, our people, you, you did that. You gave us this building, and now we're going to use it for your kingdom glory. And it made me wonder, as people drive by here, I wonder if people look in here and see our little orange sign out there and say, I wonder what goes on inside there. I wonder if people wonder the same. Like, I wonder about what goes on. I wonder if people out there wonder what goes on inside here. And, and then um, when you stop and you think about what the church is and you read the Bible, and particularly the book of Acts, you think their faith was no way contained to a building. They didn't have a church building, right? And, and so you stop and you think that Christianity, we have, we have turned it into a come and see kind of faith. When I don't think in God's mind and heart that Christianity was ever a come inside and see. It was always a go outside and tell kind of faith that we should be living. And so our, our strategy and our plan can't be to try and, and get people to come inside, but that the church goes outside with the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. And so um, the Great Commission is not come and see. It's go. Go and tell. Right? And so... Christianity is a going out faith. This new church, they were so young. Paul got ran out of town three weeks in. He's writing a letter back, and he's down in Corinth. Um, did, we, did we get it? I'm assuming it's not on that we didn't get it. That's a bummer. All right, we'll figure it out for second service. Um, <clears throat> that, oh, it's, but that's up there. That's really weird. Um, so he's writing this letter down in Corinth, right? He's writing this letter down in Corinth. And so he's writing this letter, they don't know exactly how, anywhere from three to nine months after he left, just writing back. So this church is definitely less than a year old. And this new baby, less than one year old church, is their faith is just ringing out and they're making their mark and they're being an example. And Paul's encouraging them and how they're doing. And, and then he says this in verse nine. He says, they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. <clears throat> and so here we have three movements that I want to push pause and I want to talk about what, what they did. In, in essence, this is what happens when, what, when you truly want to follow Jesus. There's three movements. Do you see the three movements here? Let, let, let's look at them. How you turned... To God, how you turned what? From idols, and you did what? And to serve the living and the true God. So three movements here. Um, I had a whole little thing I was going to draw up on the board and do. Joe, you're working so hard. I appreciate it. It's working? You got it? He says he, oh, you got it. What, what happened? Power cord? Bad? That one. Thanks, buddy. This is it going to take a while? Do its thing? 15 seconds. <laughs> Y'all do this. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. Where are you taking mom for lunch today? Go ahead and talk and figure, figure that out. Where are you going? You got it? Beautiful. All right. Thanks, buddy. Joe Santisa, everybody. Thank you. So, so let's, talk, let's talk about these three movements, okay? Um, the first movement is, let's talk about 
turning from idols. Okay? Again, uh, this was a a Greek and Roman providence. Um, uh, All Greeks live in there. Rome was in control of it at the time. So you had, again, the full pantheon of, 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 you had Roman gods and the Greek gods. And so uh, when Paul says that they turned from idols, I mean, he's literally talking about you're walking down the street and you'd see an idol of Zeus or uh, Athena or, or whatever Greek god. Right? Right? So they're literally a turning from idols. And in our you know, 2022 sophisticated minds, we're like, that's so silly. I can't believe people even back then would bow down and worship idols. That's so silly. And then we got to stop and say, yeah, we're, we're, we don't have idols in our lives. Ours are just way more sophisticated. And so let's, 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 talk about, let's talk about step one here. And this is really, um, I, I want you to see all of them. They turned from idols, they turned to God, and then they served God. All three things are involved. You'll see how this, I want to explain how this process goes. But step number one is you've you got to turn from idols. By the way, this idea of turn, it is the word repentance. This is what repentance literally is. The word repent literally means to change your mind, to change your direction. You're living this way. You're going this way. When you hear the word repent, a lot of times we think repent just means say you're sorry. It is so much deeper than just, oh, sorry, right? Repent means you realize the way you're going, the way you're thinking, the way you're acting is wrong, and it bothers you, and you don't want to do it again, and so you turn from it. This word is repentance. You turn from it and you start going a different direction. That's what the word repentance means. And that's what it starts, is recognizing that there are idols that we have in our lives, yes, even today, just much more sophisticated idols. And it's hard. Let's, let's stop and talk about idols for a little bit here. Because um, you, you and I wouldn't have idols in our lives if they didn't do something for us. Right? We get something out of it. Because, listen, everybody has a God, lowercase g. Everybody has a master that they serve. And whether it's, it's money or sex or pleasure or control or students' popularity on social media and it just is consuming you and driving you and you're living for it. Listen, anything that gives you life, value, hope, strength, like apart from God. See, God wants to be the source of all these things for us. And when we turn from God to these things to find life, pleasure, joy, hope, strength, those things are playing the part of God in our lives and therefore they become an idol. That's what an idol is. Let me give you the actual definition. It's not on the screens. Um, it'll be in our notes. Here's the definition of an idol. Anyone or anything other than God that we live for holds our trust, love, and allegiance, and that we look to to be our source. Right? And turning from idols is not easy. And we have them in our life because we like them. And they do something for us. And they do something to us. And so this idea of turning from them is much easier for me to stand up here and say than for us to really do. They can consume us. They can consume our thinking and our time and our energy and our dreams. They can organize your priorities. And a lot of times they can be really, really subtle. We don't even realize it, right? So how do you, 
How do you break free from something that is so strong? You replace it with something better. And that's what the Thessalonian church did. They recognized that their idols were dead, and so they turned from them, and they turned to God. By the way, this act right here is called faith. It is called faith. I'm turning from this, I'm repenting, and now I'm turning to God, and I'm going to put my faith in a, in a better God, capital G, not lowercase g. I'm going to now um, place all of my faith apples in this basket over here. And that's what the Thessalonians did. They turned to God. But notice that it doesn't say, um, can you th- go back to verse 8 for me there? Or verse 9, thank you. Um, they turned to God from idols to serve. I love the descriptors Paul uses. They're very intentional. To serve what? What are the two adjectives? <laughs> the living and true God, which, again, remember where they're at, right? What did they have? They didn't have living gods. They had statues, right? They thought the gods were it, it, it probably alive, right? But, but um, Paul is saying, no, no, no. This is the one true God that is alive. We just celebrate Easter a couple of weeks ago, and, and so Easter is a reminder to us every year that our God is not dead. Our God is not, uh, when we read this book, it's not a tour through the ancient museum of what our God used to do in the past, because our God is a God of the past. Our God is a God of the present, because he's alive, he conquered death, and he will be with you forever. And so, this is all a picture of what Christianity is, right? When you reduce Christianity down to just subscribing to a set of beliefs and creeds and doctrines and then living however you want, you've missed the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of Christianity, recognizing that we're turning from our false gods, we're turning to the one true God, and now it's actually we're going to serve him. We're going to live for him. I just put this over here. I think this is just normal. This is just a normal Christian life. And see, this is, this is what you and I have got to learn to do, is that when, and hopefully by now, as we've been talking, you've, you've identified an idol in your life, what your idol is, our idols are. And, and part of the challenge is that we've created kind of a man-driven um, version of Christianity where it all depends on you. You've got to try harder. You've got to be more dedicated, more serious, more committed, more accountable. And so here's what you do. You look at your idol, whatever it is, and and we all know we have them. And and chances are, if you're really trying to follow God, it bothers you. These things bother you. You hate that it's there. You hate that they have control over you. You can't can't kick it. You can't stop it. It's it's deep in you. For some, these idols have been years. You've gotten used to living life with these idols, and they do something for you. And now, the thought of going without them, you don't even know how to live without them, right? And, And so, what we end up doing, this is a bad strategy, is you think it depends upon you. And so, you look at your idols, and you say, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to be more determined, and I'm going to be more committed, and I'm going to be more accountable, and I'm going to try harder, and the whole time you're facing your idols, and your focus is on your idols, and that's the wrong way to stop doing something you don't want to do, is to focus on it more. It never works, which is why repentance is key, which is why you have to turn to it. How many of you know that the more that you focus on something, the more it just gets in you, right? You've got to 
stop trying to not think about it. It's like the old, the old illustration of if I tell you, hey, whatever you do, I want you right now to stop thinking about pink elephants. Just don't, whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants right now, okay? Just stop thinking about pink elephants. Got it? Some of you right now, you're picturing an elephant that's pink, right? It's like, so, so how do you do that? Is here's what you've got to do. You've got to start thinking about gray elephants. You've got to start thinking about the real thing. And when you, when you start, when you stop focusing on what is the issue and you turn and you start actually replacing that which is wrong with that which is true, that which is dead to that which brings life, that which offers everything but delivers nothing to that which, just get really bright in here all of a sudden? Okay. Um, threw me off. I couldn't see y'all for a second. <clears throat> It, it brings you victory. You understand how this works? Start focusing on that which you're called to. What I've found is that the more then that I start running this direction, this thing gets so far in my rearview mirror, I'm not even thinking about it. I've forgotten about it because I'm focusing on that which I am called to and I'm not going to sit here and focus on, I got to stop this, I got to stop it, and being consumed with it. And that's why Paul gives these three steps. Turn from idols, turn to God, but then serve him actively. <clears throat> and I got to ask you, how are you serving God? Because here's the, here's the third truth about Christianity is Christianity is a turning and serving faith. Christianity is a turning and serving faith. The reason why some of you are not growing is you've turned, but you're not now pursuing and serving God. You're not using the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the experience. Everything that God has kind of downloaded into you that makes you you and makes you different than the person sitting next to you and across from you behind you, right? Your personality type and the skills that you have and the attributes. It's, it, it's, my old pastor used to say this. And I love it. I'll say it again. It's one thing to know what you're good at but it's a whole other thing to know what that's good for. And I don't know what you're good at. God made you good at certain things, not good at certain other things. It's one thing to know what you're good at, but now the question is, what's that good for? How are you going to use that to serve and further God's kingdom and not just build your own little kingdom over here? Because that's idolatry. And so Christianity is a Pass the torch kind of faith. Christianity is a going out kind of faith. Christianity is a turn and serve kind of faith. And lastly, here in verse 10, it says this, that we are going to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I told you in week one, and we're just going to tippy-toe into it here a little bit today, that there is a lot of discussion in the book of 1 Thessalonians about the end, about end times, the return of Christ, the tribulational period. And it's introduced here. Every chapter ends with Paul talking about the return of Christ. There's some kind of end times reference in the end of every, each one of the five chapters. It is something that is, which is interesting because this church is only, is only a couple months old. So, but man, Paul, when he was there, was telling them about the Lord's coming back. And this is 2,000 years ago. 
And I've told you, and I'll tell you again, and we'll get into it more as we go, that I believe God's clock is continuing to tick, and it feels like it's speeding up. And that's a good thing. We want Jesus to return. We want, because all throughout Scripture, it's not a thing that to be afraid of. It's not a thing to dread. It's a good thing that our king is coming back and returning. It's a good thing that we have a king that is going to rescue us. And we've got to talk about this just a little bit from the wrath of God. That's a whole other sermon that we could do on God's wrath. It seems like America has pretty much could care less about God and his wrath. But we should not be fooled that wrath is part of the character of God. See, our, our God is a holy God. Our God is the one who has created right and wrong and truth and standards and given it to us. And this is how you should live. And he's the one who created everything, designed everything. And, and so basically when we say no and we do it our way, it's a, it's a slap in the face of God saying, we don't want to follow you. We're not going to obey you. We're not going to believe you. We're not going to trust. We're going to do what we want. And God has been being slapped in the face for thousands of years. And his righteous anger is, is being, Scripture says, and we'll get to it here in chapter 2 and again in chapter 5, is being stored up where God is going to unleash for all the wrongdoing that's been done and all the perversion of his original design for the murder of, of innocent babies over the last 40 years. All of this that God, that God has created is God's wrath being stored up. And we thank God for Jesus who came, because you and I are part of this, except we have a rescuer, a savior, Jesus, who comes and took his wrath on the cross, took God's wrath on the cross. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember when Jesus said that on the cross? Why? That was God pouring out his wrath that I deserved and that you deserved on his son, on the cross, and cried out, why have you forsaken me? And unless you have Jesus, God's wrath is coming. And it's not something we like to talk about a lot, and, but we can't not talk about it. It's all going to be throughout Thessalonians, the wrath of God. Theologians talk about there's two aspects of the wrath of God. Let me ask the worship team to come, and we'll close with this. There's two aspects of the wrath of God. There is the period that is coming on the earth known as the tribulational period. Uh, people call it the apocalypse. It's the time when the four horsemen of the revelation will come. Um, it is a seven-year period on earth where God unleashes rash, wrath on the earth. And... It's the rise of the Antichrist. It's going to be a horrible time. That's when the whole mark, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell. It sure feels like we're getting really close to that. Seems like things like, like just happened almost like that. I'm not saying Biden is the Antichrist, right? I'm not saying the vaccine is the mark of the beast, but I'm saying, boy, 30 years ago, you're like, how is this going to happen? Today, we're like, oh, I see exactly how it's going to happen. Right? We're getting close. And so that seven-year period, you can read about it in Revelation if you want to. It's in chapter 6 to chapter 16 where God unleashes 21 judgments onto the earth. Seven bowls 
It's an illustrative, seven bowls he pours out, seven seals of a scroll that are broken that's poured out, and seven trumpets of judgment that are poured out, just all on the earth, terrible time, God's wrath. And, and so this is where theologians differ about what's going to happen. Are Christians going to be there during this time or not? It sure seems like that is this poor theologian's uh, uh, alignment that Jesus will return and snatch up his bride, his church from the earth. We call that a pre-tribulational rapture. We'll talk about all this in the weeks to come. And, and so some theologians want to say that's kind of what this verse is talking about. Jesus is going to rescue his bride, the church, that won't go through the wrath. It's talked about again in chapter 5. Some theologians think that that's going to happen midway through the tribulation period, that we'll be here for half of it. Some think it's going to happen at the end. We'll go through the tribulation, then Jesus is going to come. Some theologians think there even there is no such thing as the rapture. There's only just the return, the second coming of Christ. We'll unpack all of that. I call myself a pre-tribulational hopeful. <laughs> Not just because I want that to be true. That's what my... That's what my study and my reading of the scripture, but there's good theologians um, in all different camps. And we'll talk about that to come. That's one of the ideas. What is this wrath that's coming? It could be the seven-year period of wrath that we're going to be rescued from. Or it could just be at the very end, right? When God destroys the heaven and the earth and he judges everybody and the final separation of the sheep from the goats, of the wheat from the chaff happens and you either spend eternal life with him in in heaven or you get what you wanted your whole life, life without God. And he's designed a place for that, hell. God is not in hell. And he's prepared a place to put people there and give them ultimately what they want, life without God. And that's the wrath of God. It could be that eternal final judgment. We're not sure. What is this wrath? It's one of those two things. Either way, we're rescued from it. And so the last, I guess, truth about Christianity is this, is that um, Christianity is a waiting to be rescued face. So what are we doing now? We're living in light of the return. We know he's coming. We ourselves are supposed to be making an imprint on people as we're letting our faith ring out. We put on our Jesus clothes and we let everybody see how beautiful Jesus is and what it means to know and be rescued from the coming wrath that's coming. And we live that way. We serve him. We don't sit around and do nothing and be like, well, it's going to happen. No, no, no. You serve him and you wait and you know he's coming and you keep serving him. And church, I believe... We need to have a sense of urgency about this. I've told you before, for such a time as this, I think that God has brought next here, has blessed us now with this building, and now um, with our strategy to start more churches. um, This is where we're going. But it's going to take all of us to be in. And so let's just close with this. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and... Um, we've talked about a lot today in these four verses. A lot, a lot. And I, I pray that God has spoken to you and touched your heart about something. Something that he's inviting you to do. To change. To step into. To be more of an example. Uh, to be more serious about going out. To pass the torch on to somebody. Maybe he's convicted you about an idol you have in your life, and today he's telling you, repent. Turn from that idol. Turn from it. 
But you can't just turn. You've got to turn and pursue him, serve him. Otherwise, you're going to be drifting right back to that idol. So you've got to run from it and run towards God. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. Let God speak to your heart. God, this morning, most of all, I want to thank you for Jesus, that you gave us a rescuer, one who's going to rescue us from the coming wrath, from the wrath that we deserve for our own sinfulness, our own childlike rebellion against a parent who has done nothing but love us. Thank you for Jesus. We pray that we would model you well down here, that we would be great examples that we'd be continually turning from our idols and going out with our faith of love and hope. We love you and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and worship him.